Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Survival Show podcast. I'm not David. I am Craig Cottle, the founder of Nature Reliance School, sitting in the hot seat for David today, and I'll be your host. And we got some good people that are going to be on here with us. This is a podcast for people, you all, who want to be better prepared to thrive in their relationships, work, and life, no matter how good or bad the situations they find themselves in. Every week, what we're going to be doing is bringing you a conversation with an expert. we got a really good expert here today. He's, he's a good dude. I like him. In an area of practical survival, emergency preparedness, contingency medicine, or leadership, or all of the above, to help you attain your uh, fullest potential and increase your survival IQ. Along the way, what we're going to be doing is we'll cut through the clutter, take you step-by-step through the simple mindset, skills, tactics, and gear that you and the ones that you love need to survive almost any emergency crisis or disaster. So today, Creek Stewart and I are going to be discussing the vital importance of having a disaster-proof, long-term, fresh drinking water plan and the simplest ways to do so. And we're going to revolve this around Creek's new book, which, quite frankly, I love, The Disaster Ready Home. You need to get this book, you all. Check it out and get it. Here's some things we're going to be doing. We're going to discuss how to source, store, and filter water when your primary source runs out and otherwise becomes undrinkable. We're also going to talk about how to build a multi-year water buffer and how to identify and implement a renewable source of backup drinking water. And before we get out of here, we're going to be discussing various water sources, manual pumps, simple rain capture system, water filtration, and purification. Those are not the same things. Those are different. So you can be confident that you and your family have access to safe drinking water. So we have an exciting and important show queued up, but... But you knew this was coming too. This is important. I'd like to encourage you to create a win-win situation for every, everyone involved. And here's how you can do that. I love this. SOS. SOS. Y'all got that? SOS. First, S, subscribe to the podcast if you've not already done so. O, offer an honest five-star review with a comment. I cannot tell you how important that is, and we appreciate that. We're very thankful that those of you who have already done it have done that. And last but not least, the last S, S is share. Share the podcast even right now with those you care about. I think that's it. SOS. Subscribe. Offer review. Share the podcast. Doing so makes a big win for everyone and helps others. And guess what? It's free. I like free. Do you like free? I like free. So, also, go check out Ultimate Survival Tips, the mothership for all things related to podcasts and other things that we do. You'll find numerous resources there show notes for this podcast and links which is really cool you can get the book right there real quick and don't forget to pick up the tiny survive guide hey we got the first aid guide out as well and you should check those out and a plug for me since i'm here today naturereliance.org we've got all sorts of cool stuff going on there we are wildly being um, digging into our online membership as well as our in-person classes i think that's it all right creek stewart you ready to get started I am Craig. Good to be here with you, man. And did you know Kentucky is my favorite state in the United States? It's the greatest state ever. Dude, it's it is, man. I love <laughs> Kentucky. Is. You know, I mean, I don't live in Kentucky. All my a lot of my relatives are from Kentucky, but I think that's why I like you so much, man. Just simply because you're from Kentucky. I like the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Isn't that what it's called? Commonwealth. There's only a few uh what people think are states. Uh Pennsylvania's one. 
I think Virginia maybe. I know Kentucky is a commonwealth. It's not actually a state. It's a commonwealth, which is right. an interesting thing to look into the history of. It's real good stuff, man. It is. It is. So I, uh, I'm excited to be here, man. This is a really important topic. I, I'm going to start out by just, uh, by just shocking the world real quick with a statistic. And that is that the average American uses over 80 gallons of water per day, every day. Now that's crazy. You know, I mean, between drinking and eating and washing their hands and flushing the toilet and washing their clothes, 80 gallons of water per day. And I mean, that just goes to show you how truly dependent we are on water in, in general, how much we use. Man, if you think of it that way, and no joke, it, it, there's probably not an hour that goes by in the day that we're awake that we're not doing something with water. And I think we think it's just for drinking, right, from a survival perspective. But, man, we use so much water, man. I didn't realize it was that much, though. 80 gallons, that's a lot. 80 gallons. national That's the uh, American national average. It's actually like 82-something, 82 gallons-something. So the big question is how much should we be prepared? Well, you know, maybe before we get into that, maybe we should just, just talk a little bit about the importance of of water, just kind of build the case for water for a couple of, couple of minutes, you know, like, you know, yeah. why is water important? You know, we've talked, we've had a past several past podcasts on food and food's important, but I would argue, and you probably would too, that water is more important than food even. Oh, absolutely. I'm hundred percent on board with that. It surprises people. I don't know if you get that too, Creek, but it, it seems like because we get a hunger pain, that we think that food is primary of importance, but really sometimes that hunger pains actually a dehydration pain, or we don't sense as much the need for water as we do food for some reason. It's interesting. I think it's an interesting concept to consider. We kind of bypass it, but I'm I'm a hundred percent on board with that. Yeah. And there are many disasters that affect our water supply. Uh, and in fact, they don't have to be that, that crazy of a disaster. It seems like every time I turn around, at least here in the Midwest, I see some kind of a boil alert uh, uh, for municipal water supplies in cities all over. It hasn't been that long ago. There was a big issue with water up in Flint, Michigan. Uh, but I mean, I occasionally see notices on the news of boil alerts that a municipal water supply has been, um, contaminated or infected or compromised in one way, shape or form. Um, and then we've got, you know, floods that flood the fresh water supplies and pollute flesh, fresh water supplies. Earthquakes can break water pipes and interrupt water supplies altogether, it just seems like, I mean, there's every, everywhere you turn around, there's a potential for some kind of a disaster to cause an interrupt in what might be your regular supply of drinking water. Hey, Creek, did you, did you do one of your shows down in Texas when they had all that flooding down there? I can't even remember how long ago it was, a few years ago. No, I didn't. I did not. I've done, I've done a show. Um, I did, we filmed one in Georgia that had to do with, um, hurricanes, but it was actually at a disaster training center where they could mm. flood an entire mock city. Um, it was Get called the guardians cool, trainings. 
Oh, dude, it was crazy. It was called the Guardians Training Center in Florida. And it's a disaster kind of first responder training hub. And they have a mock city that's recessed into the ground that they can flood. And wow. so that's I wild. had some, I've had some really interesting experience in kind of simulated flood environments. Um, but mm-hmm. floods, I mean, floods are one of the top culprits for uh, interrupting, interrupting water supplies. Uh, but even even not even an, an, an electrical outage can interrupt water supplies, especially if your water supply is a well and you have an electric well pump. Yeah, I, I, a few years ago, I trained a bunch of DEA agents that were uh, responsible for responding to natural disaster, and a bunch of them went down there to Texas. And that's what you know. There's a lot of people that get well water down there, and it was a major problem because every water source in the area. I can't even remember where that was. I want to say it was just outside of Houston, but I don't know that that's the case, but man, everything, everything was contaminated. It was, it was wild. You know, want to know something really interesting about Texas is, is I guess 2021, I want to say last year, uh, yeah, last year, 2021, they had kind of a freak cold snap and for a couple of weeks, which the area wasn't used to. And a lot of the water pipes and water sources froze and, Although the water wasn't necessarily polluted, it became suddenly inaccessible. And then all of a sudden, water became a major, major issue um, simply because the pipes froze. And Mm -hmm. it just goes to show you that there are so many different scenarios that can interrupt a regular supply of water. This is a really important subject, and it's something that everyone needs to be thinking about and planning for. And I'm going to make it really simple today. I'm going to break it down into three major three major categories. We're going to talk first about just freshwater storage. How much and how should how much fresh water should someone have on hand right now that's ready to open up and drink? And how should they be storing that water? What are some options for storing that? And then second, we're going to talk about kind of the next layer, layer number two of water security, and that is water filters. And we're going to talk in there a little bit about water disinfection and purification, talk about chlorine and debunk some myths and do do some talk about some real actionable steps. And then in the third phase here, we're going to talk about renewable sources of water. So beyond... Uh, what you might be able to store, what are some ways that you can implement a renewable source of water so that you have forever water. And so, um, so let's talk about that first category. How much should someone have on hand knowing that the average American uses over 80 gallons of water per day? So storing 80 gallons of water per person per day, that's ridiculous. (laughs) That's not even, I mean, that's impossible. And So what is a realistic number? Because water is very heavy. It's very bulky. It takes up a lot of space and it, it becomes very cumbersome to store very much water, especially if you're in a neighborhood or even an apartment, something like that. And so the number I've landed on for freshwater storage is two gallons per person per day for at least two weeks. That's how much fresh water I recommend someone have on hand that they can literally just open up and start chugging or start using or start brushing their teeth or using for cooking. So two gallons of water per person per day for two weeks. And that is a very realistic amount of water 
that someone can store regardless of their size of residence, whether they're in an apartment, whether they're in a small house, whether they're in a community, wherever they're at, everyone should be able to creatively store that amount of water. Does, does two gallons sound realistic to you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's, it's pretty much exactly what we recommend as well. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that if, if people are listening right now and, and they're going, wow, that's a lot of water, then it is definitely something you need to start taking care of because it is so easy to just go to the faucet, open up the faucet, get some water. And that adds up really quickly for cooking, for taking a shower, a bath, whatever we're doing for hygiene. Those, that stuff adds up quick, man. I, I think if anything, two gallons is conservative. <laughs> I mean, it's, it seems like a lot to a lot of people, but it's, it's there. We use a lot of water, as you've mentioned, 80 plus gallons of water a day. Well, I would definitely consider two gallons a survival ration considering yeah. that most people use 80 gallons per day, right? So you're not going to be able to use the water like you normally would at two gallons per day. But if you do two gallons times seven days a week, that's only 14 gallons of water a week per person. So times two, which is two weeks, we've got 28. Let's just round it up to 30 gallons of water per person is what you want to have on hand for freshwater storage. And so that's a decent chunk of water. You know, 30 gallons mm -hmm. of water is what? Six, five gallon buckets. And so like six, five gallon containers per person, that is a significant amount of water. Okay. Um, but we can break that up between small containers, medium containers, and even if you've got the room, some larger containers. So small containers that we talk about are just bottled water that you would go and buy at the grocery store or one gallon jug water. Uh, that is the easiest water to store. They come in cases or jugs. Um, I'm not a huge fan of plastic. You know, I think plastic's a huge issue in our environment, but it's hard to deny the, the simplicity and the stackability and the ease of using uh, bottled water or jug water uh, for, for disaster preparedness. Uh, they just these cases of water, they're, they, they stack really well. They, you know, the jugs of water, they, you can tuck them away in nooks and crannies. And one way that I love to store jug water, like one gallon jug water and case water is to create a false floor in my closets. So I'll, I'll do a layer of like, let's just say one gallon jugs of water. And I can fit about 20 gallons in the bottom of like an average size closet. Okay. That's and then fantastic. You take That's a, a great idea, man. I love that. Yeah. And then what you do is you take and you cut a piece of like plywood or some just rigid, you, you could even use a series of two by fours, whatever scrap wood you have on hand. And you lay that on top of that jug water and it creates a false floor. It, it, your, your closet is still 100% effective. You can use your closet exactly like you would normally would. It's just the floor is about a foot higher and you can still use it as a shelf, put your shoes down there, your vacuum cleaner, whatever you need. And it's just a really easy, effective way to tuck away small, either case water or gallon jugs of water. Nice. I dig it. I dig that. Because, I mean, seriously, there's a gap there between your clothes, if you will, and what's on the yep. ground anyway. So why not bring it on up there and take up that space with some water? I love it. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a really, really great way of doing it. And, you know, one of the most common questions I get is, you know, how long is this water going to last? You know, if I buy water from the store, am I going to have to just like use it and replace it every six months? What's the deal? And so the, the number that I've landed on as far as how long a municipal water supply is going to last. So if you buy your water, then that's water is going to be treated. Okay. That water is going to be treated before it goes into that bottle per standards. Or if you're filling jugs out of your tap water that is coming from a city water source, I believe that you can expect that water based upon my personal experience and testing that you can expect that water to last for up to five years. I used to say one year, but after changing water year after year after year and it not going bad, I have moved that I have moved that time period to five years and I feel very, very comfortable with the municipal water supply or a bottled water lasting up to five years. Uh, if you're getting your water from your well, I probably wouldn't give it five years. And in fact, I would, I would treat that water to store it. I don't treat any water that I store that I buy, but if I'm using it from a well, I do treat it with a chlorine and the chlorine treatment that I use for storing water is based upon the CDC centers for disease control, a chart. And it's just two drops of five to 9% regular unscented household bleach per one liter of water. And that's the, or eight drops per one or eight drops per one gallon might be the easier figure to use. I always like the two to one figure, two drops per one liter, simply because it's easy to remember you have to be 21 years old to drink. And so two drops <laughs> per one liter, 21 years old to drink. And so that's the mnemonic I always use to remember that calculation of bleach. Nice. And, and for the, our, for our listeners out there, pay attention to what Creek's saying as a far as the percentages are concerned, because there's a lot of different bleaches out there now would, I mean, is that the way you see it too, Creek? Absolutely. There, you know, they now offer like a high concentrated, which may be um, a higher concentration of bleach beyond that five to 9%. Um, and so you want to read those labels closely and make sure you're using, you know, the appropriate concentrations here in a little bit, we'll talk about HTH which is um, a granular form of chlorine, which has a much longer shelf life than bleach. Um, regular liquid household bleach has a shelf life of about one year. It's great for water purification at that same ratio. I use the same ratio for water storage that I do for water purification. Um, and um, HTH is a granular version and much higher concentration, but lasts a lot longer. It has up to like a 10-year shelf life. So we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but as far as storage goes, uh, I do for well water. Uh, I do, I do use, I do use chlorine, uh, to store that well water. And once I add that ratio into my chlorine, I do, um, I can give it up to five years is how I look at it. Great. So, I mean, you feel comfortable with, um, the well water with just the bleach and then t tell me about where you're going to store that at, or maybe you're going to get in that to a bit, but I mean, do we need sunlight on it? Do we want to keep it in the shade? Where, where do we store it or how do we handle that? Yeah, that's a really great question. So 
I, I treat water storage exactly like I treat food storage with the same exact enemies, oxygen, sunlight, heat, critters. So we want to store our water out of the sun. Um, if you store water in a clear container in the sun, you run the risk of an algae bloom um, actually happening inside of your container. And so while that may not kill you, you can filter that out. No one wants, you know, an algae bloom in their water storage. And so uh, anytime you store it in high temps, you know, you're going to run the risk of um, an increased chances of, of contamination. So we want to store our water in a cool, in a cool temperature controlled place if possible. But I got to tell you, man, I have many, many friends who store water outside you know, I know I've, I've got one really close, I've got one friend who, who stores their water outside, um, in the desert of New Mexico along the side of, um, his house. And so, uh, there's, mm. and I, I've visited places in, in Baja, California, Mexico, where their water storage is in a huge black container up above the house in full sun all the time. And so, wow. So the black container, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Creek. I'm sorry, but the black container makes the difference there, though, because I I get this algae bloom thing that you're talking about because I've seen this raising cattle because we had water storage issues like that. Yeah, you know, it's a it'll it'll block that sunlight and prevent the growth. Mm. Um, but that's also you know their water they're using cycling through on a regular basis. It's not necessarily set it and forget it long term water storage. Uh, gotcha. so that would make a difference as well, you know? So ideally your water is out of the sunlight in a climate controlled place, but that's not always possible. Um, and so you want to try your best to, if you've got clear containers, you want to cover those up with a tarp, do your best to block that sunlight. Um, but many of the larger water containers that I'll get into here, those are, those are really, most of those aren't clear. Most of those are that blue, that, that opaque blue. Like when we get into like five gallon jugs, like with the Reliance Aquatainer and, you know, some of the, the five gallon jug water containers that you can buy at many outlets, those are, um, those are that opaque blue. And those are really good water storage containers, a five gallon jug container. They're, they're a little pricey. They'll cost you you know, $10 or so, maybe a little bit less, but they, they, they handle five gallons of water and they're still maneuverable. Like you can pick up and move five gallons. Most people can pick up and move five gallons pretty easily. So that's one thing I really like about them. It's a nice chunk of water um, that you can still move around if you absolutely had to. So that gets into a kind of more of a medium um, water storage container. I like the, let me just pop off a couple of names here that you might want to consider for these five-ish gallon containers. So the Reliance Aquatainer is probably the most popular. It's been around for a long, long time. Um, there's, a, there's a product that's really interesting called the Water Brick. Uh, it's a 3.5. Uh, they come in 3.5 gallon and 1.6 gallon sizes. And what's interesting about these is they're designed to stack. So they kind of stack almost like Legos and they crisscross and they're just a really, really cool water storage solution. Um, you can get um, a two pack of like the 3.5 gallons for about 35 bucks, but they're really, really durable. And then there's a 4.5 gallon jug by a company called Midwest Can. 
um, which is a clear jug, but it's a really nice jug, a really affordable jug too. Those are around 12 bucks or so. Uh, so those are some ideas for, for medium water storage. And then we jump into kind of the 55 gallon and beyond category, which is, you know, the big 55 gallon plastic drums that people see in the long-term water storage pictures online. When you start searching long-term <laughs> water storage, um, these 55 gallon drums obviously hold 55 gallons, but once they're full, they're really, you know, they're pretty much sitting where, where you, where you fill them up at. So 55 gallon drums aren't for everyone. Uh, but they are a really great solution. Uh, you would have to have a manual drum pump, which just slides in one of the bung holes on top and you can pump the water out of it. Uh, but I keep six 55 gallon drums on hand. I have one 305 gallon water tank on hand and, um, and then a lot of little smalls, little five gallon, uh, little five gallon containers, and then some, and then some bottled water as well. So I have a whole variety of that in my personal water storage, just to give someone an idea of what, what I might be, what I might be stocking. Yeah. It's, it's kind of interesting that David, uh, contacted me and wanted me to get up with you on this, uh, podcast today, because I've, I just picked up last week one of those big food grade containers. I don't know if it's common throughout the country, but we see them all over the place down here because there's still people that are living off of cisterns here in Kentucky. And so you'll have people collecting water just as a means of living, not necessarily surviving. And I picked one up that was 400 gallons. Uh, it, it used it, it actually carried water that they then utilized to put in small bottles and sell. So it's a food grade container. And I got it for 50 bucks. Oh, wow, man. Does that have that wire cage around it? Is that the kind of thing we're yes. talking about here? Yes. Yeah. And they have all kinds of different sizes of them. Now you got to be real careful when you get them because some of them are not food grade. You want to make sure you're getting one that's food grade because some of them have chemicals and you just, you don't want that. Right. So, yeah. um, that, that would be my biggest recommendation on them. But I mean, the, it's interesting and it's, and it's a very unfortunate circumstance of our society that, those things are like a lot of things. They're just used once and discard. Mm -hmm. That's tragic uh, from an yeah. environmental perspective. But you've got us Kentuckians down here use them all the time to store water, which I which I do appreciate and like. Yeah, that's a really great that's a really great tip. And you know, those things are available. Um, those things are available nationwide. And you make a really good point about um, upcycled. Um, large containers that may have been a food grade container. So you got pretty lucky in that yours was a water and actually just a food grade water container, because even the food grade containers, um, which you can buy a lot cheaper than a brand new 55 gallon drum, you might be able to buy a food grade 55 gallon drum that once held grape syrup or um, hmm. some type of flavoring, like a lemon lime flavoring for a soda factory or something like that. And even though those might be a lot cheaper, your water is going to taste like whatever was in that container before right. your water, because plastic is porous and that plastic is going to leach whatever that was. Um, and so if you're okay with having a lemon lime or a grape flavored water storage, that's one thing. But I'm a big fan of just bumping up that extra few dollars and buying a new container. Unless, like you did, yours was a water container to begin with, so you don't have any of those issues whatsoever. 
Yeah, man, I know. I, when I got an opportunity to grab this thing up, it was it was a sweet sweet deal, man. I was I jumped on it. it. Those don't come around very often, but but again, if people are looking for them, make sure you listen to what Creek's saying on making sure you get something that you're actually going to be able to use. Who wants to drink yeah. water every day that tastes like grapes? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, you, you're putting a lot of faith in whoever's selling you that container, that their word is true and that there right. was actually a food product in that versus some type of a cleaner or something weird, you know? So, you know, I mean, in this day and age, there's a lot of unscrupulous people and, you know, I mean, when it comes to your water storage, you know, this is something you're going to be putting in your body potentially every day in your family's body. So just make sure just double, double cross your T's and double dot your I's and make sure that you're buying a container that isn't going to poison you. Um, one, one thing you want to think about with these big water storage, uh, when, when we talk about placement is if you're putting your, your big containers outside or even in the garage or in a barn or a shed, if you live in a four season environment, these suckers are going to freeze. And so that's another argument for trying to find a spot um, inside on a concrete pad, maybe it's, um, in a hallway, you want to be very careful putting these, putting these big 55 gallon drum containers anywhere that could potentially tip over or collapse, or, I mean, break through a balcony. I mean, they're a, they're a heavy, heavy container. And so you want to just use best judgment in, in where you're putting these things. Um, uh, but the good news is you should only have to drain and refill them once every five years, unlike once a year that I used to do. So 55 gallon drum of water weighs 459 pounds. Yeah, there you that's go. A lot, I that's mean, a lot just, of weight, man. That's a lot of that's weight. That's a lot of weight. And when you start, they take up a small footprint too. So if you were to put three or four of them in mm. one spot, you're looking at, you know, a couple thousand pounds in one very small, like four foot by four foot footprint, you know, I mean, that's a lot of weight. Yeah, no joke, man. So, but 55 gallon drums, these are, these are fantastic containers. If you've got a spot in the corner, you know, on a nice concrete pad in the corner of your house or a garage, I mean, you can store a lot of water and, and really set it and forget it and have, and have a decent chunk of water. One 55 gallon drum that could cover, you know, one person plus for two weeks, you know? And so you get, you get, a you get a lot of get a lot of water for your dollars with a 55 gallon drum. So let's, let's move into, we've talked a little bit about storage and I think we've covered some of, some of those bases, you know, one, one critical piece to a really well thought out water plan is having a filter that you can believe in that you can pour whatever kind of water you can find or source through. And you know, beyond the shadow of a doubt, it's going to be safe to drink for you and your family. My plan is even my water storage beyond something like a bottled water, like anything in my five, 55 gallon drums or my 305 gallon tank or anything out of like um, a manual well pump or a rain barrel, I'm running all of that stuff through a water filter. And the water filter that I recommend and use is called the Big Berkey. It's been around for a long time. Um, it has been through the paces with testing. It's one of the only water filters on the market that's considered a water purifier, meaning that it's going to cover you for those three categories. So the protozoan cysts, the bacteria, and the viruses. And if you look up the big Berkey black water filters, so these big Berkeys are run by two 
optionally two big Berkey black carbon water filters. And if you look up what these things filter out, like the, it is a laundry list of all kinds of potential contaminants, including chlorine and plastics. And, you know, I mean, we run our regular water every single day through a big Berkey, uh, you'd be shocked at what's in your municipal for those, the, for those who use tap water, you'd be shocked on what's actually in your municipal water supply. Um, if you go to the website, let me see what it is here. I should know it off the top of my head. I think it's EWG. Uh, just one second. Let me find it. I'm cheating by looking through my book here. I should, I should <laughs> that's know not cheating, man. <laughs> I'll find people ask me that kind of stuff all the time, Creek. I don't know how you feel about it, but there's no way I can remember every single thing I've ever written in an article or a book. <laughs> Can't remember everything. It is a it's a website where you can look up what is here. It is it's ewg.org forward slash tap water. If you go to that website and type in your zip code, it will give you a list of contaminants. Um, it, what's ever, it does water testing and it'll show you what's in your municipal water supply. And it is shocking what is in municipal water supplies. Like right. you wouldn't believe the number of like medicines and pharmaceuticals that are, that are in municipal water supplies. And it's, it's actually really scary. Even illicit illegal drugs, you know, that are laced in these water supplies that make it through the channels. I was talking with them. And again, this is where I get to work with the DEA, but the, uh, there was a, there was a big push. This is years ago, man, where, um, the DEA and other law enforcement agencies were recommending people take illegal drugs and flush them down the commode. If you, if you knew somebody had some, then just take them and flush them. And they made this push. Well, it basically pushed all these drugs into the sewer system and, you know, sometimes that gets is regurgitated water that eventually makes its way back to the municipality and it gets sure. clean, but it's still, there's still drugs in the water. I mean, yep. birth control pills, illegal drugs, all sorts of things are in our water and we have no idea. Well, here's an interesting, here's a really interesting story um, that piggybacks in on exactly what you just said. Last couple of years ago, my, my wife's grandmother passed away. She was in at-home hospice, and when she passed away, uh, the healthcare worker came, and it was policy to actually take all of her medicines because a lot of them were considered, for some reason or another, based upon the types of drugs they were, they couldn't be removed from the house. And so the policy was to flush those drugs down the toilet. And so all of those pills and medicines that 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 she was on in the last days of her life which were some of them were some pretty serious stuff you know those mm-hmm. were all flushed down the toilet and just like you said that's how these things end up being laced in our tap water and that's a major major issue that's a whole nother issue besides the, you know sewage being contaminating during a disaster of course you know we're talking about disaster water but you know water's water and Having a filter at home like a big Berkey, these are going to cost you a couple hundred dollars, but this is money so well spent. These big Berkeys, two two of those filters will last you 6,000 gallons of water. I mean, that is a ton of water, 6,000 gallons. Uh, You won't need to change that for like a couple of years 
They're $120 for two of the big black filters. And this, this big Berkey, no matter what comes down, I mean, whether you're scooping it out of a Creek or a pond, or if it's rainwater, or if it's an algae bloom water from your, from your long-term storage, you can dump that water into your big Berkey and it's going to come out the other side and you can have confidence that it's going to be good to drink. Um, and as far as water filters go, that's, that covers you for a long-term disaster water plan. If you've got a big Berkey with those big Berkey blacks, you're pretty much good to go in the water filter department. Um, do you know of any other filters that you would recommend? I mean, they're not the only big Berkey. Isn't the only filter that does this, but you know, are there anything that, that you would recommend in the filter department that you want to kind of add into there? Or, or are you a big Berkey fan too? I'm a big Berkey fan, man. I don't think for the, the, what you get for the money, there's anything better. I mean, there's some that I've seen that are more expensive that do mm -hmm. similar work, but I mean, you know, if people are look at this and, and think, man, that's expensive. No, it's not. I mean, it's, you need to need to be drinking water that is filtered like this every day of your life. It's so much better for your health, let alone the survival yeah. situation it offers you. So, I mean, yeah preemptive measures on your health is another aspect of survival that a big Berkey is going to help you with. It's just critical. No, I agree. I, um, you know, the filter I use out in the field is a Sawyer. Um, I use a Sawyer bucket filter, uh, which is good for the, the microbials, the, the protozoan cysts and the bacteria. Sawyer does not do viruses. Uh, but when I'm out in the field training, we do a Sawyer squeeze um, it's with a bucket setup. But for my house, we do a big Berkey. Uh, and, and that's what I would recommend that anyone listening really consider, you know, just save up. Even if you're on a budget, just save up 10 bucks a month uh, for the next few months and, and just bite the bullet on a big Berkey so that you're ready to use it or so that you're using it every single day. Uh, the great thing about a big Berkey is it's gravity fed. It doesn't require electricity. Like this thing is going to run even if the electric's off. And somebody said to me the other day, well, I'm good to go. I got a reverse osmosis system. I don't need a big Berkey. And I'm like, I got a reverse osmosis system too. And those things require some major pressure in order to work. And in order to have water pressure, you have to have a functioning, um, if you're on a well, your well pump has to be functioning. So that means you absolutely have to have electric. You have to have a functioning pressure tank, or if you're on municipal water supplies, then you would absolutely have to be being supplied water from that municipality, which, you know, we're talking about scenarios that where that might actually not be happening. And so I don't believe, even though a reverse osmosis does filter out a lot of stuff, I don't believe that that is an end all be all solution to disaster water. Yeah, I agree. It's, this is a multifaceted, um, I don't want to call it a problem, but I, it's a multifaceted consideration, that's for sure, that we take for granted again. I hate to keep going back to what's so obvious, but we just turn the water on and we don't, people typically do not think about that at all. It's just what we're used to. So to make a plan for disaster, it's there's going to be several levels here, which I, I love how you're laying this out. This is fantastic, man. Yeah. So we've talked about two of those layers and both of them are really simple to implement. We've got two gallons of water per day per person in various side storage containers, whichever one works best for you, whether it's store-bought or well water, doesn't matter. The second layer is a water filter. I've talked about the one I recommend. And then we move on to that third layer. And that third layer is what covers us for 
the fact, the difference between two gallons of water per day and 80 gallons of water per day, right? So mm-hmm. we, we've got a two gallon of water survival ration, but it's really easy to imagine that that runs out pretty quick or you don't have any at all. Maybe you just haven't stored water. Well, a third layer of consideration that pretty much wraps you up in the long-term water storage department is establishing some kind of renewable water source. Now, some people may be lucky enough to have a creek or a pond nearby. That would be considered a natural renewable water source. You could go out and, you know, put a five gallon bucket in that and then pour it into your big Berkey and you're good to go. You know, like you could hit it with, you could hit it with that two to one, two drops per one liter of chlorine. If you wanted to be, you know, extra if you wanted to have a little bit of extra security so you could disinfect it and filter it, that's a, that's an option. You know, a lot of people don't have that option. So there's two other ideas, I guess, solutions that you could consider for, well, several other, but two, I think that are the most practical. I believe the most practical renewable water source for the average American household is a 55 gallon drum rain barrel. And the reason I say that is that in most areas, there's enough rainfall to keep an average size family in water indefinitely with one 55 gallon drum. Now there are exceptions to that in certain areas that just get very little rainfall, but there aren't very many exceptions to that rule. So a 55 gallon plastic drum, just the same one that we've talked about can easily be hooked up to a gutter downspout. There's a kit that I recommend. It's called the earth minded rain barrel converter kit. It's $40 from Amazon or from probably other online retailers. It includes everything you need, including the drill bits to take a standard plastic 55 gallon drum and hook it up as a rain barrel to a downspout on your house. It includes the spigot that comes out of the rain barrel, the diverter that diverts the rainwater in the, in the gutter through a pipe and into, into that barrel includes everything, includes the whole saws. All you need is a power drill and it for $40 plus the cost of the drum, you have got one of the most durable and robust rain collection, rain harvesting systems that I've ever used. And I've got one hooked up to my training facility. I've got one hooked up to my house and I can tell you firsthand that these things work really, really, really well. Yeah, I had not heard of those until you mentioned them, Creek. I'm looking at them right now. I just pulled up Amazon. That That is so simple. I mean, I've kind of engineered that on my mm-hmm. own by myself and tried to pick up pieces and parts and make it all work. And this just makes it so simple, man. This is awesome. It's so simple. And if you were to go out and buy a fancy rain barrel, I mean, you're looking at a few hundred dollars, you know, mm-hmm. for a rain barrel. And quite frankly, I've done that you know, bought these rain barrels with these screen mesh tops and they're like all fancy and they look like a basket weave. They, most of them that I've purchased are garbage. They look like they look horrible and they fall apart within a couple of years. This system of this earth minded kit paired with an indestructible 55 gallon drum is robust and it is going to last. Now, my wife was not happy with our bright blue 55 gallon drum on the side of our house. 
And so <laughs> I figured out a really effective way of painting it. So if you sand that down, just really lightly sand that with some sandpaper, it'll take two cans of any color spray paint that you want that'll adhere to plastic. It'll take two cans, average size cans of spray paint to coat that drum, but you do want to sand it and scuff it up a little bit so that that paint sticks. But we painted ours like a green to match the bushes and, um, and it is not an eyesore whatsoever. Uh, it's a really, really effective way. I remember when I first hooked it up, I'm like, I wonder how long it'll take to fill this. And I waited till the next rain and it barely rained. And that rain barrel filled up in less than 30 minutes. I mean, that thing is always nice. full. Yeah, we had some uh, years ago when my kids were little that they painted and it was just like a family project. You know, everybody did their little part and they, they painted the things that they wanted on the rain barrels. And it, it's, you know, makes it fun for the family too. There you go. That's cool. I, uh, you know, one concern with a rain barrel, and this is a valid concern that most people are going to want to think about. And that is the fact that, um, those things are going to freeze if you're in a four season environment. And so for a couple of months out of the year, I have to drain my rain barrel. Um, and I clean it once a year cause you do get a little bit of sediment, but that particular kit is a diverter kit. So it only diverts water. It won't divert like leaves and stuff that might be coming down with it. It's so it's really, really, I mean, it's really great at, it's really effective at diverting mainly water. Um, and so that's, that's the kit I recommend. Um, and if you have these three layers in place, then man, you are really, you are really setting yourself up really well to be able to weather the storm of in, certainly any average, um, water related interruption. Yeah, man, this is a, this is a fantastic, uh, look at water question I had. I, I want people to listen to the podcast, obviously, and I'm glad they're listening in, but is this listed in the same way in your book or we're going to have show notes for the podcast too, but is this laid yeah. out similar to what's in your book? Yeah. So I, the, the way I tackle all of these big kind of preparedness subjects in my book is you know, I give people some basics like the two gallons per water per day. Anybody can do that on any budget. And then I dig a couple layers deep on those subjects as well for someone who might want to dig a little bit deeper, like hooking up a rain barrel. I mean, in my book, I even teach step-by-step -step how to drive your own well point. If you live in an area with a high water table, you know, I show you the materials you need to actually take a post hole digger, buy the piping and tubing and manual well and drive your own well point into the ground and establish your own shallow well. Um, that's another category nice. of renewable water source. If you have a well and you are dependent upon electric for that well, which everyone is typically, you would probably want to consider, you know, a solution to your renewable water source would be a manual pump. Um, I have a, I have a well at my house. And I have what's called an earth straw that runs down right beside my electric pump and my, you know, my well down into my well casing down in past, you know, right next to the tube that goes down to my electric pump. And it's a, it's a, uh, like a half inch, um, diameter pipe that slides right down in there. And it's a manual pump so that it gives me access to my well water when my electric's down. Now I prefer a larger manual pump. Like I love, there's a, there's a brand out there called simplepump.com 
they're it's like the Cadillac of pumps. I can't fit that into my well because I have a four inch well casing. If I ever build a new house or for someone who might be considering drilling a well and building a new house, spend the extra money and get a little bit bigger diameter well casing, like a six inch, six inch, or maybe even an eight inch diameter well casing. Six inch would be plenty. That gives you enough room for your electric pump and then a really nice manual pump with a one inch tube or, or ish, a one inch tube that can go right down beside um, your electric pump and then give you the option for a really nice manual well pump. I mean, these simple pumps, these can, you can use a simple pump that goes, you know, a hundred plus feet deep. And that thing will even, that thing will even, um, charge your pressure tank for, for your well. So, I mean, it's, it's the real deal. It's not just, you know, like little house on the prairie style, you know, like these things can hook up to your house and charge your pressure tank. They're, they're the real deal. So, um, manual pumps in a well are certainly another option for renewable, renewable water sources. If you can fit one in beside your electric pump. Yeah. I'm looking at them right now too, Creek. They've got, looks like they've got two of the hand pumps, one's for shallow well. And then they, I'm looking at the deep well that goes all the way to 325 mm -hmm. feet. So they've got a hand yeah, pump man. for whoever. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, so that's a really good, that's a, you make a really good distinction there. So there's shallow well pumps and there's manual pumps and there's deep, there's deep well pumps. So shallow is good to about 25 feet or so. You can find a lot of shallow well pumps like layman's.com, L-E-H-M-A-N-S.com. They're a really great store for kind of old timey type stuff, you know, kind of, um, you know, the, 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 the products of yesteryear and they sell a variety of manual pumps that have been tested, mainly shallow well. So if you have a shallow well, like 25 feet, you can hook up a manual pump and that will a shallow well manual pump and that will suck the water. Um, a deep well pump actually pushes the water up and can push it up from really, really far down. Um, and like you could never use a shallow well pump on a well that's, you know, 50 plus feet deep. It just wouldn't work. You'd be wasting your time and money. Yeah. This, this simple pump, man, has got, uh, got those items. Plus they got solar power pumps and everything, which is another option mm -hmm. you haven't mentioned yet, but that's fantastic. I mean, your power goes down, you've got this battery backup for you as well with the solar. Yeah. If yeah. you've got direct sunlight, man. Yeah. So much yeah. stuff. Great. Yeah. But, um, you know, it does, you don't have to go that, you don't have to dig, you don't have to, you don't have to go that deep with this water category. You know, I'm convinced that two gallons of water per person per day for two weeks, plus a water filter, plus a rain barrel. I'm convinced that that's going to cover most people easily 80% of the time, maybe even more like, I mean, that's, you've got a really, really robust water plan. If you've got those three things in place. I'm sitting here thinking about the two events that I know that were really problematic for water, which both of them happened down there in Texas. One of them was when there was so much flooding. The second was the one you mentioned where there, everything froze. What you just described, that simple plan right there would have taken care of every one of those person's needs. Yeah. Easily. That That's a simple plan yeah. that works right there. I like it. And, and it, and it is truly simple. And I swear any, anyone on any budget can figure out a way to implement all three of those things.
those are really the three layers that I wanted to cover today uh, in the podcast. And I think we, I think we did a good job or a very thorough job in, in going through these. I think there were some really clear action steps in, in each category. And for someone who's just getting started, I mean, daggone, you know, we just, you know, not to use the pun of water, but we just opened up the fire hose on water today. And I mean, I, I think we've delivered some really great actionable info. Creek, if you don't care, uh, we always end these podcasts with one to one to three, four, five different action steps. Could you just go through that real simple uh, setup that you just mentioned for two gallons yeah. of water per person? Yeah, just one more time, just for emphasis. I'd appreciate it if you do that again. Yeah, so three action steps. Action step number one is begin to put in place your immediate freshwater storage. This is the stuff that you're going to be opening up and drinking. You don't have to purify it. You don't have to run it for a, through a filter. And our goal here is two gallons per person per day. Doesn't matter if it's bottled water, five gallon containers, or 55 gallon jugs. Figure out which of those containers works best for you and begin working toward that two gallons per person per day. That's action step number one. Action step number two is either just go ahead and buy or start budgeting to buy a big Berkey filter. And that should include two big Berkey black filters. It's going to come ready to set up. It's going to come with a little test kit to make sure that it's set up right. Go ahead and start putting together a plan for implementing one of those. Go ahead and think about this as an everyday use item. That way, when disaster, when disaster strikes, you and your family are used to using this thing and you're just going to keep on using it during a disaster. That's action step number two. Action step number three is make sure it's okay with, if you live in a state that may prohibit rain barrels, you know, you want to check those kinds of rules. There are states that, you know, have ordinances against rain barrels. Um, and there are some homeowners associations that have ordinance against rain barrels, but do your due diligence check to make sure that you can implement a rain barrel. That's ridiculous, but I won't get into that but make sure that you can implement a rain barrel. And if you can, I would go ahead and just purchase that $40 kit, go ahead and buy a new 55 gallon drum, but keep in mind that you can hook that kit up to any size or shape container. Like even if you had a smaller inconspicuous little pot shaped 30 gallon container that maybe didn't look like a big rain barrel, hint, hint, and maybe it, you could, you know, you can hook that as long as you can drill a drill an you know, an inch and a half hole into it. You can probably hook this kit up to it. About any plastic container will work. Um, you could hook it up to a five gallon container if you wanted, but you want to think about maybe 35 gallons plus, but your third action step is to think about what your renewable water sources are, make a list of your options, and then pick the one that's the easiest to implement so that you've got that established. Those are your three action steps and they're all three pretty easy to get started on. Yeah, it's fantastic, man. You kind of got into it a little bit. So I might mention this, that uh, I've seen some plans where people take their barrels. Now this is going to be considerable work, right? But they bury them underneath the ground below the spout and they have runoff so that they can pump the water out when they need it. And then nobody knows it's there. So if you want to get real, real uh conspicuous on such things you could do that as well this has been great Craig. what everybody i'm sure everybody at this point knows how to get in contact with you but uh, how do people connect with you what's the best way 
easiest way is just creekstewart.com. If you're, if you're not on my email list, get on my email list. That's where I deliver all the goods. I'm not super active on social media or anywhere else, really. Um, anything important, I email, and um, I would love to have you on the list so that I could keep you in the loop. That sounds good. I'm on that list, everybody. You should be too. So, um, Creek, I greatly appreciate having you on, being a co-host. Hadn't talked to you in quite a while. Look forward to talking to you some more. Likewise, man. It's always a pleasure talking to you, Craig. All right, guys, we're going to take it out of here now. So don't forget, hashtag HBO before we head out. Pay it forward. That means that you can share our family-friendly content. That's pretty cool stuff, family-friendly. To anybody and everybody that you can possibly share it to, we greatly appreciate that. And second, go over to the mothership, ultimatesurvivaltips.com, and check it out. There's a lot of free content, videos, unique gear, tiny survival guide, the first aid guides, and all that kind of cool stuff. And while you're there, don't forget, forget, don't forget this. Click on the podcast tab to get the show notes. That's where we're going to find the links for all the stuff that Creek and I talked about today. And uh, we really appreciate the team getting all that put together so it's easy for you to go over there and look and click and find what you need. Then do this for us. Go give us a five-star rating and an honest review wherever you listen to this podcast. And for me, Craig Cottle, jump into our website, naturereliance.org. See what we got going on. We'd love to have you join us there as well. As Creek said, join our email list. We'd love to have you on our email list. And this is important. This is important. This is really important. Everybody listen up. We want to hear from you. So send us an email at survivalshowpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's survivalshowpodcast at gmail.com. So you can let us know, hey, hey, David, do a topic on this or cover this or can you get this guy on the show or gal on the show and send us your questions. We'll get them covered in the podcast. If we feature your question on the show, listen up because I got this in the notes today and I'm kind of going to jump in on this myself we'll give you a shout out and david will put your name in the hat for a chance to win an msk1 knife for christmas think about it how cool is that thanks for joining us today we'll see you next time on the survival show podcast until then keep it simple be positive and stay sharp 